Welcome back to the Enneagram Journey. My guest today is Stephanie Burke. She's a one on the Enneagram. She's a mother and a wife and a daughter and a grandmother. And she speaks eloquently about keeping the world level and about keeping the big picture in mind. I think you'll really enjoy our conversation. Hey, Stephanie. I'm so glad you're here to visit with me about being an Enneagram One and relationships. I'm glad to be here. And you have so many relationships. From my perspective, you're in uh, a space where you have aging parents who rely on you for a lot and you're in those relationships. You have adult children and you have all those relationships to manage. You have two fairly new grandbabies and those relationships to manage with their mom and dad and getting to be with them. And I am aware that you have lots of relationships in relation to your church community. That's a lot of people to be uh, loyal to and to be uh, responsible to and in some instances for. How are you managing all of that as a one while critiquing yourself as you go along about how you could do it better or different? Well, when I start my day, I usually start my day terrified at what's going to happen during the day or concerned about how I'm going to meet everybody's needs. Mm -hmm. And then I take a breath and kind of start my day. And if I have my day fairly structured, then when the other stuff starts to happen, I can deflect or deal with it and, and it, and it works okay. If I'm calm myself and most importantly, if I've taken care of what I perceive to the needs that need to be met around my household, mm -hmm. you know, if everything's clean and neat and put up and in order and I'm doing okay. And then the relationships needs come along. Mm -hmm. I can, I can meet those great. Um, days when things are topsy-turvy, it, it's a little bit harder, but I also am pretty good at, at boundaries and being able to prioritize um, who needs help mm -hmm. when. Does that mm -hmm. make sure. sense? So um, I think one of the things I'd like for you to talk more about, because I don't think other numbers, either, either you're a one or you have a one wing, mm -hmm. or you don't understand how order affects everything else. So... I would get up because of my one wing. I would get up 30 minutes earlier, and I'm not a morning person, and I know that you're not either. I would get up 30 minutes earlier in order to leave everything where it's supposed to be before I go do my day. Absolutely, yeah. And it would completely change my day if I missed that 30 minutes. Oh, you can't miss the 30 minutes. <laughs> no, you can't. No, yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And absolutely. so what do you think that's about? I just find great comfort in the routine of that. And I, I, the great thing about the Enneagram is I thought everybody had to do that to do their day. <laughs> I thought they all did. I couldn't, it was shocking to me to learn that not everybody approached their day like that. So that's the beauty of the Enneagram is to learn that not everybody does that, mm -hmm. which was very helpful. Um, but for me personally, I also 
realized how important that was to me to be able to do the rest of my life mm-hmm. that way. And I kind of have benchmarks through the day that I touch base with home um, and home being just my headspace for making sure that the ground is level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the best way to describe it. If my ground is level in the morning when I get up and I kind of got myself solid, mm-hmm. then gangbusters through the day and, and different things can happen and I can deal with all the different things that need to be done or needs that need to be met. And I enjoy that. And, and that's when I can enjoy the relationships with other people the very most is when that's taken care of. If I haven't had that time, which is rare because I'm pretty good about making sure that I have that time, mm-hmm. it gets pretty shaky. Unfortunately, I'm married to the sweetest man in the world. I know you are too. But, yeah. Um, the um, and that really helps a lot because he is very supportive of the way I am in the world like that. So. So your husband, John, is a five on the Enneagram, mm-hmm. and he is um, a leading pulmonologist. Lots of people in his field really look up to him. And he's as as five as anybody I've ever met. So one of the most fascinating things that stories, and uh, we should just share with everybody that you and John and Joe and I are good friends and um, um, have shared lots of experiences together. But one of the most fascinating stories to me is when John was going to have his office painted. And John has lots of things. John is kind of a collector like fives are. And he has lots of things, and they're all in their place. And I was fascinated when you said, I was so worried about getting the office painted and what John was going to be like and what it was going to be like to be with him at home. And then it occurred to me I could just take photographs of everything and take them out and have the office painted and put everything back exactly where it was. And that was the first insight I had into perhaps one of the reasons why I run into so many couples who are ones and fives. You know, when people ask me uh, what number I run into most in relationships, where people are, what two numbers do I run into most, they never would expect me to say ones and fives. And that's the answer. So what do you think it is about that combination that really works for you guys and what about it doesn't work it it really does work i mean it really does um because i can bring organization to his um desire to to collect things and his desire to have knowledge about things and i can put it in a i'm going to use the word box but that's not right but i can put it in in a way that he can um, access it all. Mm -hmm. And that's huge because if you've got a five who doesn't, because the organizations, I mean, the tendency to want to collect things is always there, but not to necessarily be able to access it. And so it works really well like that because I can provide that for him. And it's a way that I can show love to him is to be able to do that. And it's really fun for me because it's, because as a, a one, I think one of the things that I struggle with is that my way to show love to people is by doing things for them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's just helpful in that relationship. When it gets hard is when his desire to gather knowledge and information overrides 
other stuff mm-hmm. because it's really and, and it's okay most of the time it's pretty humorous but it's like really do we do we have to stop at one more cemetery to look at one more you know yeah. those kinds of things because he's so curious about collecting all of that and his orientation to time is the past which sometimes can be so melancholy and um so I sometimes have to pull him out of that so but it's not always melancholy but sometimes it is if that helps. One of the things that's fascinating to me is I think couples have trouble finding couples to be in relationship with. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's hard for four people to all like each other. And uh, it's interesting to me that as a two and a nine and a one and a five, we share in this relationship of friendship where we're so different, but we so get one another mm-hmm. that the difference is humorous. Yes, yeah. And I can't imagine that we could do that without the Enneagram. Right. Yes. It's huge. It's a game changer. Absolute game changer. No question about it. Okay, I'm going to switch up a little and talk about your relationship with your parents. I'm so aware that when I was trying to help take care of my parents when they were aging and dying, that I was looking for a different thing from them than I experience you looking for in all the help that you give to your parents. So I'm aware that our difference is that I wanted relationship moments. And your care for your parents seems to be less selfish to me than mine was. You know, I I would go to take care of my mom and... She needed a lot, but she kind of had categorized who got to help her with what. And so my brothers, you know, were 18 and 15 when I was born, so they got to do the big stuff. You know, they got to handle the business side of everything. And I was kind of there to do um, tasks that didn't connect us like I thought trust would between my parents and my brothers when they were handling the important Mm -hmm. stuff. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes, yes. seems like you have responsibility for the important stuff. I do, I do, and I really enjoy it. I mean, it's a a pleasure to really, and um, they're very different people and their needs are very different, and I... The dignity of every human being needs to be respected, and particularly at the last decades of life. And to be able to respect the dignity is is huge, and and it's really it's kind of fun. Um, and because I can fly at thirty thousand feet, and mm-hmm. and know that um, I want to be able to look in the mirror at at the end of my life or their life or whoever, um, and and know that I've been able to be respectful and, and loving and take good care. And it really is, it's kind of fun. And again, too, and I have the luxury of having this incredible husband who is absolutely right there behind me if I need any mm-hmm. extra help mm-hmm. or things or any, any comes in looking at things through a scientist brain and mm-hmm. can help with all of that. But um, it can get overwhelming if there's too much going on. Absolutely. And I, and I tend to go into tasks and not fly at 30,000 feet, 
but um, but it really is an honor and a, a pleasure to be able to do it. So. Have you always been a big picture thinker in terms of relationships? Yes. Because I'm so not. You know, I, I far more quickly than you, I kind of get, ah, 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 I don't know what's going to happen, and what if it's this, and what will I do? And um, I thought that would change when my relationship with my children changed because they were adults. And sometimes I still have that little, that hook, but it's because I don't see the big picture of anything. I'm, I'm just not a big picture thinker. I think my foresight helps me do that. Interesting. Because I'm looking for balance. Because I don't ever want to be too much of anything. Oh, got it. And so big picture gets me out of that to be able to find balance. And so I can fly at 30,000 feet and look at the problems and know that I want to be level and not be too much, much. Of, of anything. So, but, so that helps me be a big picture thinker. So I really am. And that helps me in my relationship with John too, because he can dive so deep, so, so, so deep into um, things, which is fabulous. I mean, he can bring back great information from that rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, but I can also help pop him out of it, um, which is good. Sometimes he doesn't want to be popped out of it. <laughs> but um, but that, so I, I actually enjoy that space a lot. But I think I get it from that four side. Interesting. That's mm -hmm. very, from the high side of four. Hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not yes. panic. No, I don't go to oh, panic. Yeah. And if I find myself in the low side of four, um, and I can definitely go there it gets to be that very and and I actually the the points with my parents that are I can go to that very melancholy side when I'm taking care of them sometimes mm -hmm. and I know that that's where I'm going it's usually if I'm you know tired or things aren't yeah and know that this might be the last fill in the blank yeah kinds of things and do you struggle as much with your voices since you learned the Enneagram as I've learned, you did before. I've learned to love them more. Ooh, talk about that. Um, because that's a relationship. You know, I, I don't think oh, people understand that mm. for ones, that constant voice is a relationship that you are a part of often more than any of the other relationships in your life. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've learned to to use it as my advocate and not beating me up. Um, and that's huge um because it really can be helpful if I look at it through the lens of being helpful instead of oh my gosh I'm not doing this right or I'm not you know I mean it never goes away yeah but I can use it for good and not use it to sink me down lower so it's actually very helpful and pulls me out of the low side of four or being too far in because I can get in that seven space too it's so yeah. great also, yeah, but, so it, it mm -hmm. then, would you say, in relationship with your voices, mm -hmm. they can keep you from giving up on everything by getting you moving yes. in the bottom of four. And in the low side of seven, they can get you back to what's yours to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in that seven space, it is huge for my own mental health. Huge. Because I love being over there, and I, I can almost... I can feel it immediately when I begin to slip into that space, particularly if I'm at the easel, if I'm painting and, uh -huh. mm -hmm. and doing that. Or, But also in other parts of my life, 
it can get me back to centered. If John was here with us, would mm-hmm. he say that he's aware of the relationship? He's aware of the voices in your relationship? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's very dear about it. Very dear about it. Um, he really understands it. And and he helps to guide me back to using it for good, too. Mm. Um, so it's so interesting to me to put together what I'm hearing from people who are guests on the podcast because not too long ago, fairly recently, we did a, a podcast with a lovely young woman whose name is Rose Estes, and she's a four on the Enneagram. And she's the first four who ever, that I remember ever said to me, you know, I'm, I'm worried that I'm either too much are too little. And I think most fours are verbalize that they're worried that they're too much. And it's always concerned about being too much, too much, too much. So when you talked about your relationship with your voices and you didn't want to be too, it's interesting that I'm hearing that again. So mm-hmm. it's like you don't want to be too much, but you don't want to be too little. Mm-hmm. And that's um, I can see how that's a gift because I don't really know relationally that I'm too much until people back up. You you talk about how in relationships that you shouldn't be looking for someone to complete you, Uh but that what we should be looking for is balance. And it seems like with those, that the relationship between your stress number and your security number is just a microcosm of that. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's one of the reasons that we say, or that I say, you can't take care of yourself without the number you go to in stress. And you can't experience healing without the number that you go to in security. And you can't use your personality from your core number to fix the problems and the right. the struggles that your personality and your core number have, have caused. Yeah, it just gets bigger. Your personality That's, just gets bigger. Yes, yeah. absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your relationship to your church family. Because you've had a leadership role there on and off for ever, I guess. And it's a big part of yours and John's life. And there are lots of relationships to manage. What's that like for you to be in that role in a a community that is city where you grew up and people you've known all your life? And um, do you have any thoughts about that to share about that kind of relationship? The wonderful thing about the relationship with church is we're in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. We're in it for the ups and the downs and the in-betweens, and that's been... And I've and through all these years, it's a, it's a mystery to me why people come and go at, in churches because, I mean, I love our community, and we dive deep into it and love the people. And it's also, I hate to bring the same theme back up again, but in my role at church, really my only job is to fly at 30,000 feet. And if the wheels fall off the bus, I'm absolutely there to go on the mat to do whatever needs to be done to protect our church. A hundred percent, always. That's a great job <laughs> because it's, um, I don't have to get down into the weeds of anything. And then the, the relationships over all the years and all the wonderful stories we've had. And through the time, it's, um, it's, it's our family. And I, when I, 
walk into the back of church and I sit in the pew and I just feel like I'm home. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just home to look up at the altar and, and see all the people around and, and look and know all these familiar, wonderful faces that we've traveled all this time with um, is just a pleasure. In the difficult times, you just smile and think, you know what, this is going to be fine. Has the Enneagram yeah. made a difference in the difficult times? Oh, absolutely. Can you talk about how Yes, that? because I don't get near as annoyed at the people that approach it differently and have so much more space for those when you're around the table discussing important issues and the personalities that I kind of have a little bit of trouble with start doing their thing and I just, I give them so much more space and actually listen to them better because before the Enneagram, I would be, my head would be spending the whole time thinking, why, you know, why are they, uh." and now I give them space because I understand where they're coming from and they actually have constructive things to say that I need to listen to and take information from and not be annoyed that they're being aggressive. The aggressive numbers are the ones that I usually have the hardest time with. Yeah. So, um, is that because they move too fast? Eights move too fast for me. Okay. Um, very fast. And, and so aggressively, you know, they, you know, particularly unhealthy ones, aggressive, hard, fast, my way's right, we're going to go this way, that sort of thing, or threes who are spinning off this narrative that is not based in, you know, it's got a lot of those sorts of things mm-hmm. in it. And those are hard. And, um, but threes can think of some great ways out of stuff to move forward. Eights have some very valid points to listen to and, um, and can have great big giant hearts um, at the end of it all, which is wonderful, which I didn't see that before. And now I can look at that and see that. Mm-hmm. I can look at sixes that are around the table and absolutely listen to them and know that their voice is so important in going through the difficult times. Mm-hmm. And, and I wouldn't have done that as much before. So, Because in my head, too, what I struggle with is that right and wrong that justice, you know. Sure. And and so I go immediately to, oh, no, this is right and that's wrong. Yeah. And not the space in between. And I wouldn't have listened to as much to those other numbers before the Enneagram. But now I know where I go immediately is this is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. But then I can take in the other information better. Yeah. Yeah, so, that space where two things mm-hmm. can be true. And it's, and it's really the aggressive numbers are the hardest for me for sure. But it all works out. Sure. I've been thinking a lot about aggressive numbers lately and wondering, again, I talk a lot about orientation to time because I think it's so important. And some ones that I know who haven't done as much work, uh, personal work, as you have done, have a tendency to get kind of trapped in what's happening right now. Mm. How do you think you learned relationship-wise to kind of get above it and look at it? Did, do you think that comes from, and I'm not trying to feed you, I just mm-hmm. want to be as specific as we can. Do you think that comes from being married to a five who's n- not really here right now, he's back mm-hmm. there. So in order to pull people whose orientation to the time is past, in order to get them to the present, we kind of have to 
uh, pop up, I think. It mm-hmm. would be my language. Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm concerned about the fact that there's free-floating anxiety and free-floating anger pretty much everywhere right now, culturally. And because of my concern about that, I've been wondering what the solution is. And I think the solution is to look at the big picture instead of the little picture, which is how you refer to being at 30,000 feet. And I don't know how to teach people that because it's not my gift. I, I, I often get lost in what's right in front of me. How could people in relationships develop the gift to take a breath and look at a bigger picture? Have you always seen that way or did you learn to do that? No, I think I learned. I definitely think I learned because over a lifetime when difficult things happened that I wanted to get down in the weeds, I learned that if I just gave it some time that everything would work out. Mm. And even in our country right now, in all of our things, if we can just give it some time and, and then look at it in a few weeks or months, you know, sometimes it's just hours that mm-hmm. you just need. And I've learned, too, that because I absolutely have learned from the Enneagram that I don't think through things, and I have to give myself some time if I'm forced with any kind of decision or anything. So if our culture and our nation and myself and anybody that just to think, to just stop and don't get too whooped up about anything, because if you just give it some time, and if I give my own personal self some time to think about even minor decisions or, and definitely the major ones, to not react immediately is huge for me, is huge. And I learned that a long time ago. But I didn't used to be that way, I don't think. Well, it's not a typical one way of being, in Mm -hmm. in part. But ones don't like to make decisions quickly. And I think that serves you well in relationships, Mm -hmm. to not Mm -hmm. make decisions quickly. Yes, yes. Because it keeps you from being reactive. Mm -hmm. And I, as a a feeling type, have a tendency to be more reactive, I think. Mm -hmm. Is that because they don't want to make the wrong decision? I think it's because of that and because it, ones don't multitask well. That's for sure. So they would stop what they're doing to think about something. And I would keep doing what I'm doing and pop off about something. Observation, you said, do you find yourself pulling people along as a one? And you had referenced aggressive numbers. that, And I've heard you recently over the past couple of weeks ask several different people that... Uh, are you, do you feel like you have to pull people along? Is that something? And honestly, it seems like the answer usually is no. And I, so my question here is, is that you from a two trying to be in that perspective? Because that is, so we heard Joe say, no, not really. And I, I would say no. My question is, Mm -hmm. or my thought, is that a dependent stance thing that you're in the present moment? So, and your dependent stance, so the people that are in the past withdrawing, you're, you are trying to pull forward. Mm-hmm. And one, twos, and sixes with aggressive numbers who are out ahead, you're trying to pull back and mm-hmm. get to slow down. Mm-hmm. And it's not, but it's not working the other way around. Four, fives, and nines are not trying to get you all to come back to them. No, they're not. And three, sevens, and eights are not trying to get you to 
Nope. If you it's a, if you want to catch up and yeah. come at this pace, then fine. So I think that's a two thing, not aggressive. That that's insightful, and I I think it's um, I think it's a relationship thing. So I think that Stephanie and I are in the same stance, which is orientation to time is the present moment, and I think the difference in us is you don't act too quickly because you don't want to make a mistake. And I do act too quickly because I don't want to miss a connection. And so that's why I'm curious about that. I, I don't think there's a, a single example I could give of a relationship problem where somebody said, you know, I felt like I just needed to think about it for two or three days before I could know what to do. People don't tell that story when they're talking about trouble that comes with, and things went really well Mm -hmm. and everybody's moving really fast. People are moving really fast. So you may not feel like you have to bring people along, but when you stop, they have to wait. They do. They do. And for John, that wouldn't be a problem. No. Uh, but for one of your sons, it's tricky. Yes. Cause he's a seven. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So we've had a few conversations about being mothers to adult seven boys, men, men, yes, yes. men, manly men, manly men. I think for me, I'd be interested in knowing what's true for you. For me, I think it's in part because I can't find their feelings and I know they're there. Like I know that they have feelings and our sons have both had enough happen to them in life that they don't really operate out of a full range of emotion, but they spend more time in the not happy half than the normal young male seven. I, I uh, kind of don't know how to relate to people from my head or from my gut, and you do. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, I envy that because I'm just... I feel like, you know those um, statues of Jesus where his heart's just this big heart and his, his gown is open and there's this <laughs> yeah. huge heart. I feel like that's kind of how I go through life, like with this huge heart just greeting everybody everywhere. And and just, just to say to the Catholic community, I'm sure my husband, who's a former priest, is not going to be happy with my description of that <laughs> Jesus. I actually refer to that as the red heart Jesus uh, in my private world, but which is no longer private, obviously. But the thing I'm aware of is that there seems to be in one's in relationship because you take some time, because you don't want to make a mistake, because the voices will get you if you do. There seems to be exactly what you described when you talked about what you do in the mornings before you head out. That's also what you do in my observation before you enter a conversation. It's what you do before you respond to your adult children. It's kind of what you do. And I envy that. And like I I have to, I do things with my hands when I'm dying to respond. Like I'll count watermelons on my one watermelon, two watermelon. (laughs) And then I count faster and faster, Mm -hmm. observing myself. You don't have any of that, do you? You just just feel totally comfortable just waiting. I, I do. And I... And I call it kind of the introverted part of myself. Yeah. Um, and that's where I do get very quiet. 
And I also, because of the Enneagram, learned to make myself truly think through things before I, during that space, more than I had before, I hope. Because, yes, because it, and there's also that side of me that really wants to please, though. Mm, and so, uh huh. Mm-hmm. And, and so I do have to pull that back because I really, I, I want to please. It, a lot of times, one of the things I always find myself saying is, I want to do the right thing, whatever that is. There you go. That's because you're a one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that comes out of my mouth a lot, yeah. and I don't even realize it. It comes yeah. out without. Yeah, you know. it's just what you want to do. Mm-hmm. It sounds so good, doesn't it? To mm-hmm. always want. It sounds so uh, Christ-like to yeah, always want to do the right it thing. Does. It yeah. does. It does. If somebody would please tell me what the right thing is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think I intuitively just know, which is what gets me in a lot of trouble. That's interesting. A lot of trouble. That's a uh, that's a good because sometimes I think that. There are so many differences between ones and twos, but mm-hmm. what you're saying is very helpful to me, too, because that does make where the difference is there. Yeah, um, we are very mm-hmm. different. We certainly have worked it out, but we're, we just yeah. see the world differently. Yeah. Yeah. So um, f- you you brought up that you tend toward being introverted, and of course mm-hmm. you know I'm a wh- whatever is after extrovert. That's what I am. One of the things that's curious to me is that you are an introverted one, but you're a mover and a shaker. You get stuff done. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of things done in a lot of ways, um, uh, in a lot of places, like um, fundraising for a chair for a divinity school. Not a sit-in chair, but whatever the mm-hmm. appropriate language yes, is for that. Yes, uh, And you do big things. Like I, I, I always like to be with you this time of year because you, at one of, one of the days in the next few, you will talk about going to Costco or somewhere to buy lots and lots and lots of meat, mammal. Mammal flesh. Flesh is what you call it. <laughs> and so I'm aware that there are these traditions in your life. You still have mm-hmm. all of your godchildren to your house at Christmas time to make um, gingerbread houses. We haven't like, done it in a while, but well, yeah, yes. You, um, so relationships for you, in my observation, have to do with you giving a lot and not needing external satisfaction in return. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it see, never even like occurred the, to me. Oh, yeah. man, and see, I... I got to walk away wanted. I have to walk away the best godmother in average space. Now, I'm, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm not being as kind to myself as I'm going to wish I had mm-hmm. been when I hear this. Yeah. But when I'm in average two space, sometimes I would do some of the things you do because it's mine to do and because it's mm-hmm. right. But sometimes I would do it because I need affirmation and affection and I need to be wanted in return. And that relationship difference to me is um, my, my temptation is to just think you're just better than me. And in some ways you are, but <laughs> what do you think that's about that? You don't, that when you know what's yours to do, you do it and you get enough satisfaction from helping people that you don't need. Because it's, it's my solid ground. Um, it's, it's the same, it goes back to the same thing of when I wake up in the morning. So the traditions through the calendar year and through our lives that are woven through there are the solid ground that, that I can stand on that is safe 
and that keeps my world together. So it's almost mm-hmm. like a liturgical year for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same kind of thing, right? Absolutely. Is that what you're saying? Yes. You have all these things mm-hmm. that you do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, we planted the garden last week because that's, I mean, you I mean, it's all berry and it's the times to celebrate family and the times, yes. And that's, that's my solid ground. Um, okay, I'm getting uncomfortable because we're talking about mostly you being on the high side of your number and I <laughs> threw in a whole bunch of the low side of me. So I'm going to try to level that out a little. Okay. <laughs> so what, what is the um, low side of one for you in relationships? Like what's the bottom half of average? And what do you do that's unhealthy relationship-wise? Oh, well, my the seven side, I can just go with something so far, so long, I can do the gluttony thing really easy in terms of, I mean, just, um, art supplies, paint. Um, I can, I mean, I I can do too much. I can do absolutely go. And if we're going to do something, why don't we do 10 of those? And then why don't we make, can do that? Or I can, I can do anything too much very, very easily. And I do think my oneness in wanting to not bring can bring me back from that uh-huh. um and then the foresight and the melancholy side I mean I can get very you know and I guess you know I, a lot of it does happen with my art too mm-hmm. in that um that very deep melancholy and when I'm painting people I love or places I love oh my gosh I can get very drawn into that sad side in that very melancholy the thing i love about my experience of you painting and you're really good Mm -hmm. you're really talented but one of the things i'm aware of is that that seems to have a lot to do with your relationship with yourself so one of the things that i think will be a surprise to our adult children if they all hear this is how hard the four of us are working at knowing how to parent our adult children. And those are relationships that are uh, really tricky. Tricky about knowing when to be in and when to not be in and what's helpful and what isn't and what's our business and what isn't. Do you have any advice from your perspective of how people might um, consider their relationships with their adult children. You know, advice for people who are your number uh, who are in relationship with their adult children. I think I hate to go back with this theme, but I truly think for ones, I mean, to pop out of it, yeah, to fly at 30,000 feet and be in it for the end game, for the long run. Is it going to be helpful to be in their lives or in their stuff? No. The only way for them to be healthy, independent human beings is to fly mm-hmm. and for us to not be there except to be there to for the cool neat stuff and and to be out of their stuff is the way to love them yeah and and then that's where all the other hobbies and the other things in church and mm-hmm. all those relationships are in the relationships of um friends over all the years that our parenting adult children mm-hmm. are very helpful to surround yourself with those kinds of folks. And to really, I mean, the most beautiful place in the world is at 30,000 feet with your kids. And because if you get in your stuff with them, 
there's nothing productive happens. No, out it's of that. bad. It's um, really messy. Mm-hmm. But really. I think that's so hard for a lot of people. Yeah. And I know it's my inclination not to, but because the Enneagram, I really do understand. And we've got lots of different numbers of our kids and our things. And it's such a joy to watch them do all that. But mm-hmm. if you're in their stuff all the time, it's easier for me because nobody also lives here or lives close by. So, yeah. But, um, but I, in our age, communication so easy. I guess that doesn't really Well, and anymore, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure it is easier because um, I'm with my children a lot. They all live in the area, and Joel is with me a lot, a whole lot. <laughs> um, I think in some ways it's easier because they're all here. So there's not an intensity True. that you feel True. when you're with yours. You're right. And you don't, uh, you know, we don't have sleepovers with our children. So there are all kinds of things that happen in their lives that we never know about because we're not there. That's that true. That when you're visiting your mm-hmm. kids and staying in their homes and being with them all day, every day for three or four days, that's a different thing that I think would be a pull maybe to mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you did this a little different, it should be helpful. I mean, I, <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. But I just always, I mean, I do think in lots of different ways, the thing that keeps me um, from my own worst enemy myself is to pop out of it. And yeah, you know, mine is what is mine to do. Yeah. It is this mine to do. Yes. And then to trust all the no's. Well, yes, that and, that's, and that's to ask that question in that space where you're taking a breath, being yeah. quiet and to to really decide what's mine to do. Yes, but I I do think that it's tricky at best. Yeah. So yeah. And there's times when you're feeling great about yourself and you can do that easily, and then there are times when you say, Yeah. Be in the middle of things more. So. Well, and you you know, with your adult children, you can't ever take anything back. It's like it if you say it, it's there. Yeah. It stays. Mm-hmm. Because I know that um uh, you and John have done a lot of relationship work. What's one or two things you would offer people about being in a successful relationship with a five? Okay. There, there are several. Good. Um, yeah. Um, the best gift I can give him is space. Um, unstructured time. His favorite answer, he'll, he doesn't realize he asks this about every Thursday or Wednesday night, maybe Thursday, he said, do we have plans this weekend? Mm-hmm. And if my answer is no, totally open, that's a gift to him and, and a gift to us. I mean, I'm very, but that's, um, he loves when there's a lot of unstructured time because his favorite things are to be in his workshop and lose track of time and do things or be working on a project. And, um, and it's rare that he has time off like that, um, to ask. So that's a way to, to love him. And then also to really just all in all, give him space. And he's, um, and then when he wants to do something, he's got a big, strong four wing too. And, um, his heart is just huge and he's always wanting to do something wonderful for the children or grandchildren. That's full of heart, not necessarily a, but anyway, when we can think of cool stuff like that together, that's really fun. Um, 
he makes all the frames for my paintings. Mm -hmm. And that's just such a gift of love that he loves doing that. You know, so if we can find things like that yeah. that we can do together, that's really so fun for us both. So really that's the best thing that I can think of off the top of my head. To, um, and then also to respect, well, uh, this is even bigger than that, to respect his um, desire to be in the past a lot and to go there with him and to enjoy that. You know, one of my very favorite stories about John was that when we brought my mother home to our house from the hospital and um, she had a broken neck and she couldn't see her feet. And this was, we'd only been home an hour or two and it was a big, huge thing. And all of a sudden I walked in the kitchen and he was at the sink cleaning this thing. And I said, what, what is that? And he said, oh, it's a Periscope. I said, w we own a Periscope? He said, yeah, I have five. And I said, where, how do we get where them? Where do we keep them? Periscope. And he said, oh, it, I, they're my dad's. They were up in the barn. Mm -hmm. And he and he was able to go get them. He said, because I think your mother can be able to see her feet if she has. I said, well, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he looked at the walker and moved the walker wheels from the outside to the inside so she could make it through doors. I mean, the, you know, the... So, so to be very respectful and not have years ago have said, you know what, we cannot keep all your that stuff. We mm -hmm. need to clean it out. We need to, but to be welcoming of all of that collecting of things and to to love that part about him because he truly can find what somebody asking for something the other day. I can't remember when this was, and he had a National Geographic. I don't know from the fifties that had oh, yeah. an article in it that was appropriate to what. We, the com topic of conversation was at the time. So anyway. That's such thoughts. good stuff. Yeah. One of my favorite things about John as a five in my friendship with him is that uh, he's a rodeo doc for the mm -hmm. Fort Worth Rodeo, which is the best one in the world. And you guys generously uh, find a space for us to be at the rodeo every year. And this year, uh, we were not sitting right with you, but we were kind of across the arena, but we could see you. And I had brought you um, a copy of the advanced reader copy of The Path Between Us and was excited to give you that. And uh, I said to you, put this in your purse when you go back to your seat. And a few minutes later, you sent me a photograph of John reading the advanced reader copy of The Path Between Us. And you said this is in real time, no prompting. This yes. is what's really happening while we're here at the rodeo. Mm -hmm. And I am so mindful of how you and John love us as our friends from your one in five space. And I'm so aware of how much we lose in friendship when we need people to love us the way we love them. Mm -hmm. with the same behavior that we have. We lose so much when that happens, I think. All right, last question. What do you wish uh, or what would you like for people to know about being in relationship with a one? I think I spend so much of my day doing that, well, starting off the day needing kind of that level playing ground and, and all that that, that's very important for me to be able to use as a springboard to do life, but that there's a great big heart underneath all of that doing. And, and I think that gets lost sometimes. And sometimes I even feel that I think Stephanie stop, you know, it there's stop doing, doing, you know, because that, um, 
because relationships are so important and um, and being able to love well and because that's my primary goal that's primary reason I get up in the morning and do whatever we do is just to be able to love people that I love well. And sometimes I err on the side of doing to show love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer the question? That's so great. Yeah. So thanks, first of all, for being my friend. I treasure what you and I have and what we have as couples. And thanks for being on the podcast. It'll be very helpful to lots of folks. I hope so. And one more thing, April 10th is the release date for The Path Between Us. You can pre-order on Amazon or at Ivy Press. I'm so excited because we have a special deal. If you order five copies or more and email the receipt to pbu at lifeinthetrinityministry.com, we're going to have a drawing and you can win a 45-minute Skype conversation with me. And I would love it, and I think you would too. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solvay Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.